love your enemies. These are some of the hardest sayings in all of Scripture today. And yet it's these very things that us doing them sets us apart from the rest of the world. Even we're told be holy today. The word holy means to be set apart. And it's us loving and living in this way that makes us holy, but it also sets us apart from everybody else. And so we're encouraged, we're invited, we're exhorted today to love our enemies. Which, jokingly, I think maybe that's why God gave us politics. (laughs) So that we could have lots of practice. Or as G.K. Chesterton said, the Bible tells us to love our neighbors and also to love our enemies, probably because generally they are the same people. (laughs) But what Jesus is saying today can almost seem a little pacifist. Are we supposed to let people walk all over us? Or is the church condoning violence? Oh, you're in an abusive relationship? Oh, well, you just have to take it. No, never. We are to exercise our voice and get out of a situation like that. So what what then are the scriptures suggesting? A little ways back, I remember I saw this video that was going around YouTube, and and it was an anti-bullying workshop at this high school. And this, this guy was up there, and he said, I invite anybody to come. I need a volunteer, somebody who's really feisty, you know? And so this girl came up and he said, I want you just to tear into me, like the worst bully you've ever seen. And she's like, okay. (laughs) And she's like, you're just an idiot and and you're dumb. And he's like, yeah, sometimes I am pretty dumb. And she's like, and and, and you're never going to amount to anything and whatever. And he's like, I've got a lot of challenges ahead. And, and nobody wants to be friends with you. And yeah, I don't have a ton of friends, yeah. And after about like three or four comments, the girl, like she's like, I don't have anything left in my arsenal. <laughs> like he, his response, the way he, 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 didn't, he didn't contradict her, he didn't fight her. He just said, okay. Um, and, and it totally disarmed the situation. I, I, it echoed with me because somebody suggested I read this book. It's, um, it helps people pleasers. You know, the, the book's called How to Say, When I Say No, I Feel Guilty. You know? um, but the book's about assertiveness. And in the book, the guy says, he said, it was a very similar method that when, when somebody comes after you, and that you don't, you don't get defensive, you don't get angry, you just kind of, you're like, okay. And, and I realized the power of the assertiveness there is. I don't have to defend myself. I don't, I don't have to prove anything. I don't have to get angry. In, in order to do that, we actually have to have a strong sense of self. Because the hothead is actually the insecure person. And the person who shuts down and lets everybody walk all over them, that, that person also doesn't always have a strong sense of self. But the person who stands there and says, okay, 
I don't have to defend myself. I don't have to justify what I did or said. And it reminds me a lot of Jesus when he stood before Pilate and Pilate says, have you no response to what these people are accusing you of? Jesus is like, I don't have to defend myself. I don't have to give an argument to you. And, and, and I, I see in these situations, maybe that's what the scriptures are calling us to. Is, is, is choosing to stand in that place and to listen. I'm not agreeing with you. Listening is not agreement. I'm not agreeing with you. I'm not saying you're right. But I can sit there and, and, and take it. And how does Jesus do that? How, how does he stand there and love the people who are misunderstanding him and accusing him of just unjust things? He's able to do that because he sees them for who they are. Who are they? The beloved sons and daughters of his father? His brothers and sisters, like St. Paul paints that picture? These who have been given the spirit of God, who are my brothers and sisters? And you know, sometimes you talk about, you know, we're all children of God, and sometimes children can be really mean. They can be really spiteful. They can do really hurtful things. Not even children, roommates, right? You know, so like people can, but we're all children. And sometimes we act like spoiled, rotten, angry, spiteful children. But like Jesus says on the cross, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That, that we don't really realize what we're doing. Maybe even consciously I'm doing it, but we don't, do we, I don't know that we really realize this is my brother, my sister. And so I think recognizing that helps me to see them for who they are, their dignity, not this person I'm trying to vilify them to be. But really, I think what allows us to forgive our enemies, forgive other people, is because God's the one who's first forgiven us. Our psalm today, Psalm 103, it just paints this picture of God pardons all your iniquities, heals all your ills. He redeems your life from destruction. Merciful and gracious is the Lord, slow to anger and abounding in kindness. Not according to our sins does he deal with us. Like I, my sins justify me suffering. Actually, my sins cause me to suffer a lot. But God looks at me and says, I didn't make you to suffer. I made you for goodness, and I love you. And I want to heal that brokenness and, and walk forward together. Because what happens is, why do people hurt one another? Why, when, my, when my neighbor is yelling at me, that anger is coming from a place of hurt, isn't it? That my neighbor is hurting. Now, now, them yelling at us, that sure doesn't feel good. You know, that, that hurts me. And so what do I do with my hurt? My job is to talk to the Lord. Like, I can't make my neighbor turn to God to find healing, but I can turn to God. And, and I think we need to. Those situations with our family members, with our roommates, our ex, is, you know, like there's... There's a lot of people there, and every one of them is, I, 
I, I kind of like that image, actually, of, like, I'm in my yard, and this person, they, hurt, they did something, and it hurt me. And God sits there and says, how did that hurt you? How did that affect you? I'm like, well, they did whatever. He's like, okay, I'm not, I'm not asking you what they did. I'm asking how it affected you. How have they hurt you? Because he wants to heal me. Well, they need, he's like, don't worry, I'll take care of them. But I want to take care of you. And so I think that's our invitation is to turn to the Lord with our hurt, our brokenness. And in a very conscious way to choose to go there and to choose to love those people. Not because of what they're doing. But standing there like Jesus before Pontius Pilate. You know, all the things that happen today that Jesus says, he says, offer no resistance. When someone strikes you on one cheek, turn the other one. If somebody takes your tunic, give them your cloak. If someone presses you into one mile, go for two. Jesus did all those things on the way to Calvary. Nobody did that to him. He freely chose to to accept every one of these things. And there's a big difference there of, am I a victim? Look at how I've been victimized. And Jesus is like, I am not a victim. No one takes my life from me. I freely lay it down. I choose to do this. I choose to be here. I chose to be your roommate. Even though I know we're both imperfect. I want to give two examples to kind of paint the picture to know that it's possible. It's possible to love and to forgive your enemies. On September 6, 2018, Amber Geiger, a police officer coming home in Dallas, entered the wrong apartment. And she sees someone sitting on the couch, watching TV, eating ice cream. She thinks it's an intruder. She shoots and kills him. She's sentenced to 10 years in jail, right? Justice. And at the sentencing this past October, just a few months ago, this gentleman who was killed, Botham Jean, his 18-year-old brother said to her, I'm not going to say that I want you to rot and die like my brother. I want the best for you. And the best for you would be to give your life to Christ. And then he asked the judge for permission, and he crossed the courtroom and gave the woman a hug. The woman who killed his brother. She's not the enemy. She made a bad choice, did something really dumb, and is going to be held accountable for that. That was the best she had that day. It was bad, but that was the best she had. But she's still a daughter of God. And he was able to see that. Second story. In 2001, there was a young college student who started volunteering at Planned Parenthood in Bryan, Texas. She wanted to help stand up to the protesters and help escort these women who were just coming for medical treatments to this Planned Parenthood facility. She volunteered and worked there over several years until she eventually became the director of the facility. And she justified doing what she did because there were some really weird pro-life people out there. You know, they, they would dress weird sometimes. They would w- have weird signs. They would say weird things. And so it was very easy to vilify them. So she justified it. But then something changed. 
that suddenly the weird people didn't come anymore. And the signs weren't weird. They were just something she disagreed with, but they were positive. And the things people said to her were not negative and degrading, but they were actually kind. Now, she, th- she knew that these people were misguided, and here they are harassing women who were just coming for medical treatments. But she noticed that over the course of several months that the, the enemy that was outside across the street, that she actually kind of enjoyed getting to know them, that they had names, and they would call her by name, and they always treated her with respect and kindness. And she, she's like, these are really kind people, but they're totally misguided on this topic of abortion. And then one day, as the director of the clinic, the doctor didn't have anybody who could help with an ultrasound. So she went in there, and she's holding the ultrasound machine while the doctor performed the abortion. And she's looking at the ultrasound screen. You know, of course, they don't show the mother, but they, she's looking at it. And it looks very familiar, because a few months earlier, she had had her own ultrasound of her own 13-week-old fetus, baby, and her own womb. And she sat there, and she's like, oh my gosh. A few weeks before, I was looking at my baby on the ultrasound, and now I'm looking at a clump of cells, a fetus? No. And she knew, she's like, I can't. It was like a moment. She's like, like the light bulb went on. She's like, oh my gosh. How could it be a human life in one instance, and then all of a sudden a clump of cells along the same gestation time, all that? And she was so overwhelmed, she, she ran out the Planned Parenthood facility. And she didn't know where to go. She's like, oh my gosh, I, I don't know what to do. And so what did she do? She remembered the people who were kind and the people who cared for her. So she went over to the Pregnancy Resource Center and she snuck in the back door because she felt ashamed because she was the director of the Planned Parenthood facility. She snuck in the back door and all the people are sitting there in the kitchen and they just freeze. They're like, because they know who she is. Like, what are you doing here? But then they treated her the same way they treated her every day outside the clinic, with kindness and caring. Would you like some water? Here, have a seat. Is everything okay? that she actually found it more, she found the people on the pro-life side were more compassionate and caring than her own co-workers at her facility. And when her eyes were opened, where did she go but to that place where she was loved? That they were not enemies, no matter how many times and how many ways she had tried to vilify them in her mind and in their gossip. That these people cared for her. And she ended up becoming very pro-life. Her name is Abby Johnson. She has a book that's very powerful to read about this topic called Unplanned. And what I love about it is it's very genuine. She's like, pro-life people can be really weird, um, but they can also be really good. And so don't be weird. You know? so she's, and so she started this ministry called And Then There Were None. And to date, there's about 500 abortion workers who've left working at abortion facilities and become pro-life and found new jobs and new hope in their lives. You see, what what converts hearts is not teaching someone a lesson, is not lecturing them, is not being angry with them. But the one thing that changes hearts is love. And Jesus shows us what it is to love our enemies when he opens up his arms 
And he offers everything for you and I who are sinners and have, have sinned against him. And he says, I don't hold it against you. But in fact, I choose in this moment to love you and to give you everything. Because love is what you and I need. And the way we're going to be able to forgive our enemies, to love the people who are close to us, is receiving more and more of his forgiveness. And by his forgiveness, maybe we can be able to forgive ourselves. And then to be able to forgive our brothers and sisters who are just doing the best that they have. That to forgive is divine. It takes God's grace. And so we come here today to receive his grace, his love, his patience. So that we can love our neighbors, love our enemies, love ourselves. And our imperfect hearts can be made perfect.